Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. So glad to have you here with us today for episode 394 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Yes, that's right. We are closing in on 400 episodes. Going to be here soon. Uh, we got a great show for you today. Today, I am joined by Rob Foray, who is here to share about his unique speaking career and what has kept him busier than ever in recent years. Now, early on, eager to take the stage wherever he could, Rob has a background actually in theater and improv. He studied broadcast communication and has a very successful business as a speaker and entertainer. He'll also be the first to admit that it wasn't all travel and glamour, but rather he started his in his world as a parking attendant role in Disney World, which really instilled some fundamentals that we talk about that has really contributed to his future and continued success. During our conversation, Rob's going to share insight on how he pivoted through the global pandemic, what it looks like to keep a virtual audience engaged, and how he takes on new ventures while staying laser focused. His enthusiasm for entertainment and courage to try something new provides a fresh take on making your way in the speaking industry. So I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So let's get right to it. It's my conversation with Rob Foray. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Bolden here. Welcome back to the Speak Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we're chatting with Rob Foray, talking about his speaking business, his speaking journey. And uh, I'm looking forward to this one. So Rob, thanks for hanging out with us, man. Well, thank you. You know you have arrived when you get to be on the Speaker Lab podcast. I don't know I have about that. <laughs> no, That's seriously. There's so many amazing people you've had on this podcast. And I was like, when is it going to be my turn? You know, my friends like Clint Pulver, Jason Hewlett, these are guys who live here in Salt yep. Lake City who have been my mentors and friends. And, and when I got the invitation, I felt so honored. And I was like, wow. I've made it. I've you're, made, I've made it arrived. for myself. It's, it's going to go downhill from here, man. This, this is it. Exactly. We've, we've I, both I've peaked. peaked. <laughs> all right. So first of all, let's start by uh, kind of talking about like, what's your business look like today? You do a, you're kind of an yeah. eclectic, you get an eclectic number of yes. things that you're kind of involved in that I'm kind of interested to yeah. dig into. So uh, who do you speak to? What do you speak about? What does the business look like at this moment? Yeah. So I am a hybrid model of entertainment and speaker. I do a whole variety of things. And what I think would be really great about our chat today is helping others see the possibilities in their speaking business. There are so many different models out there. And my model really started with entertainment. And then it has evolved into a speaking business. And so as far as entertainment is concerned, I started as a DJ. And so I still had the DJ business. And I do speak to audiences when I do events, when I DJ, I MC. And so the whole MCing part of what I do really came from that. So MCing is a big part of what I do as a speaker. I keynote and I do gamification, game shows. 
that's still speaking to audiences. And so who do I speak to? Well, I primarily, when I speak right now, I do speak a lot in the special event industry. And that's where I got started. And your first chapter is, who do I speak to? This is part of your book. You know the book. You read it. This is is true. You wrote it. (laughs) And uh, I was just listening to the book because I'm more of a listener. I do better when I listen. And that's where I identified who I could speak to. The only problem with this with the event industry is there's not a lot of money there. You get to go to these exotic places and have these amazing parties, but as far as making a lot of money there, there's not a lot of money there. So I'm still evolving and I'm still going through this journey as to who I can speak to. A lot of the events that I emcee are in the association and corporate space. Mm -hmm. And so a variety of associations bring me in to emcee their two or three day conferences. Um, I've had a lot of success in the financial industry. Um, I've done a lot of events with the Medical Group Management Association, and I'm highly involved with the National Speakers Association. I love to connect with other speakers and speak to speakers. And that's where we met for the first time in person at the Winter Conference. Yeah, very true. So you mentioned like uh, a lot of the speaking that you've been doing or that you have had trouble with in terms of the finances is special events. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. Like what, what type of events and what do those look like? Yeah. So when I say speaking to the special event industry itself, so I started within weddings and weddings are a part of that industry, corporate events, galas, things like that. Um, when I started speaking, I started speaking at DJ conferences. Okay. And when I started, and I'm going to peel back everything because I think it's really important for speakers to realize where you can get started, but there may not be money there right away. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how, maybe how you monetize that. So I would speak at DJ conferences and they would give me a room and they would give me a free pass. Right. Mm-hmm. But this is actually where I got started because I am in the industry. So I spoke to people within the DJ community about kids events and things like that. And then I evolved into performance-related presentations on emceeing, using your voice, using the right words. I, and then I just got back from an event in the UK where I spoke at a DJ conference in the UK about performance and also social media. Mm. One of the strategies I've learned about how to monetize within the event industry is creating either a workshop or maybe even a mastermind. That's what my friend Alan Berg does. He thrives in that, but he has a lot of products. So he's able to sell books, he's able to sell mastermind events and spin off other speaking opportunities as well. So that's one way I've been able to monetize within the event industry. And also them paying me to go to amazing places like Dubai and Lake Como, Italy. And that's how I've been able to get paid to go on amazing vacations and or being able to travel the world within that industry. I was just going to say, I think that's also um, a good misconception that people have that like speaking for free, is a bad thing. And so I would say like speaking for free is okay as long as you know why you're doing it. And so like in some of those cases that you just described, speaking for free, but you get an amazing, maybe once in a lifetime type vacation out of it where you could bring, yes. you know, your spouse or family or significant other or whatever, they're like, that's, inc- there's value to that. And when you're, when you're able to, to have an experience like that, that maybe you wouldn't have been able to, you wouldn't normally do otherwise. And within the event industry, 
I have shifted to say it's not a free event. I've waived my fee, and I'm now showcasing in front of people who could potentially hire me or introduce me to people who could use what I have done. And that's the great thing about what we do as speakers is it usually can spin off more and more work. Right. And so speaking in Lake Como, Italy spun off the event in Dubai. Mm. And then I got to go back to Dubai this year for the second time because of the previous events I did in Dubai. So it spins it off. I get to go travel the world and meet some amazing people. But now I had this opportunity to showcase my skills as an MC yeah. and as an international MC, people love us Americans. Uh, they love our energy and what we can bring to an event. They don't really love our accent, but they love our presence. Right. That's what I've heard is people aren't really enamored with our accents because let's be truthful. The British and the Aussies have great English accents. It's hard to compete with. But, right. But they, what I've heard is I love your energy as an American and what you can bring to the stage. Let's go back in time for a second. You mentioned that you kind of came from DJ world, wedding world. Like, what were you doing pre-speaking? What did the were you were you doing weddings and DJing full time, or is this just kind of a side thing? And uh, what what was that like? Well, I'll tell you this: the crux of what I do is I'm an entertainer at heart. I've been on many different stages, doing theater and doing lots of different things growing up, improv. So to be perfectly honest, doing DJing was just another way to be in front of an audience to entertain and to be on a stage. Yeah. I'm always looking for opportunities to share from different stages. And so DJing is one way to get about it. So I went to college for broadcast communications and I wanted to be on TV, another stage. But I didn't find the right job and so I moved to Orlando, Florida. I went to Orlando, Florida and I started working for Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm. And What'd you during do that time, I <laughs> when I first got there, I was plucked, well, I was dropped into the parking lot at MGM Studios. I had a college degree in hand and they put me in the position of parking attendant. Okay. Yeah. But I always tell people my first speaking job was on the back of a tram where I was the guy who's doing the spieling. So if you've ever been to Walt Disney World, uh -huh. you go to the parking lot. And there's guys doing this, pointing oh, yeah. with two fingers. Yep. As you park your car, you jump onto a tram. And I'm the guy on the back of the tram who was, you have parked your car in Goofy 55. Lower your head and watch your step. If you don't lower your head, watch your language. This is a family theme park. So that was my first speaking gig, as I tell people. I spieled, they use the term spieling. And then I then went to the Jungle Cruise right after that. And that is talking the entire time while ah. people go on this cruise through the jungle for about 10 minutes. And I point out all the different animatronic animals. It's we a lot of dad this, jokes. A lot of dad jokes. Yep. So for example, take a look at this butterfly over here. Their wingspan can go from 12 inches to a whopping one foot in diameter, grown, right? So those were some of the jokes that I told. But I performed at a talent show, and at that talent show, I met my mentor, Elliot Hansen, who later took me on under his wing, and I started DJing at theme parks at Disney World, at Universal Studios, and then I also started doing work at the Nickelodeon Hotel, where I got my roots as a game show host. Mm. 
And I was there for about three years. Yeah, so then I moved back to Utah, and then I started my DJ entertainment business. Throughout that time, the first speaking gigs I got were doing assemblies at elementary schools. My sister-in-law said, hey, I need somebody for Red Ribbon Week. Can you do it? I'm like, I've never done an assembly. Well, you are now. And that's how I got put into school. So that's when I first actually really started speaking was at elementary schools. And how long ago was that? Oh, uh, 2007, 2008 is when I first started. So 2004, I was there in Orlando for three years, started my business in 2007, 15 years ago. So I started speaking at elementary schools about 15, 14 years ago. And then I started speaking at DJ conferences. Somebody gave me an opportunity to host a gala. That was my first emceeing event. And it just built from there. And then I went to my first NSA meeting back in 2015. And then that's when I really dug in to speaking, the National Speakers Association. Oh, and a funny thing is one of your past students and success stories, Kate Garns, mm-hmm. she has gone through your lab and she was also trained by Elliot, who was my mentor in Orlando. We've worked for the both we've both worked for Elliot. Very and that's cool. been a wonderful connection as well. When I would go down and see Elliot, Kate and I would talk about her getting into the speaking world. And so she does the DJing and the MCing as well, mm-hmm. but now she's really thrived because she's actually followed your program and she's one of your success stories. Yeah. Kate is awesome. Uh, huge, huge fan of Kate. Uh, all right. So it sounds like, again, because you have such a wide background of emceeing, hosting, DJing, keynoting, that as your business has evolved, how have you thought about the balance between those? Because it is, it's, it's a, it's a tricky balance between, as speakers, like we want to be able to say, hey, look at all these things, dear event planner, look at all these things I could do. Uh, and the danger in doing that is sometimes event planners are like, but I don't, I don't really know where to put you. I don't really know where you fit. And even though you can do all these different things, you kind of become this Swiss army knife that's good for a lot of different things, but not really great at any one specific thing uh, versus like, I'm really, really great at this one, one specific thing, but then I'm worried that I'm going to niche myself or narrow myself too much and limit my opportunities. So how do you kind of think about that, especially as you are engaging with talking with event planners of here's all the different things that I could do without like necessarily watering down the, the any one thing that you do? Yeah, it's it's quite interesting because I have this breadth of things that I can do. And I actually have three separate websites as well. And so I brand myself differently in each website. I have one website that's dedicated to elementary school events, one website dedicated to uh, the DJ business, and then one w- website dedicated to me as a speaker. I have made it I have made a conscious decision in the last two or three years. Whenever I post on social media, it's more towards the speaking business. Mm-hmm. I am going in that direction. I went to a presentation by Vin Jiang at NSA's Influence Conference in Denver. And he talked about how he really cut cords with his entertainment business mm-hmm. to dive deep into the speaking. And that really helped him that presentation struck me and I was like, I need to do this. But I've had other people like Jason Hewlett who said to me, I wish I had what you had. When things are not successful or, or, or speaking engagements are thin, 
whatever it may be, 2020, for example, mm -hmm. you can lean back on your entertainment business and do that. Here's the great thing about what I do as a DJ. Now I have other people that work for me. I have about six associate DJs that I can contract and book under our umbrella. So this year I am delegating the majority of what I do as a DJ to the rest of my company. Yeah. And so I think it's really important you put out into the world what you want to do most. And a lot of people said, get your foot in the door with a keynote or get your foot in the door as an MC. Then you can start selling the other aspects of what you do. Oh, you need this, you need that, you need some entertainment. So for example, last week I was in Nashville. I was hired to do a keynote. But the night before they had a 50th celebration for this association and I DJed that event. But that plays perfectly into what I do as a keynoter. My keynote is all about being the first person on the dance floor and how we can create a movement and get people to follow. It's all about leadership, being fearless, being courageous. But the beauty of what I did last week is as that dance party started, I started filming people from my phone on how they engage that dance floor. I took that footage and I put it into my keynote the next day. That's cool immediately applied that into my keynote. How many keynoters are doing that? Right. Recording what's going on, on the dance floor and saying, I watched and I observed and I saw how you were able to create a movement on that dance floor as well. Yeah. This is what I observe and this is how you did it. Another example, I did an event uh, back in October. I did some polling questions. It was a day long event as I emceed and I wrapped up the day with a game show which is another part of what I do. But they hired me as the MC to create engagement. But I opened with a micro keynote. I did 30 minutes on my keynote. I emceed, I did some games throughout the day. But as I opened up my keynote, I asked them some key questions about what they liked about where they worked. I took those answers and I put it into Family Feud. I ended the day by playing Family Feud and one of the questions was, we surveyed 100 people at this organization about why they were working here. Top five answers on the board. And now it was a recall yep. back to earlier in the day. So I have so many things within my toolkit that I can use to create that. So it's just now creating a cohesive brand about Rob Ray, the Swiss Army Knife, but the thing that he can do best is engage your audience as a keynoter, as an MC by using gamification. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said earlier that uh, earlier is you're kind of, you're, you've got the entertainment side of the business and you're trying to think yeah. through like, how does the uh, speaking part of the business fit in? And so on one hand, you've got advice from one speaker, uh, uh, Vin, who says, you know, you got to burn the boats, so to speak, and yeah, burn, go all in on speaking. Ships. Totally. Yes. And then you've got another speaker that are like, oh man, I wish, I wish I, I hadn't burned the ships. And you know what? Like they're, right. they're both, both maybe right. And both have worked, you know, and that's one of the interesting things about the speaking industry. And again, you've been in it for a long time. So you've seen, you know, some people who, oh, you got to have a book and some people who've killed it without ever having a book. And some people who say, yes. oh, you got to, you got to have some type of shtick and plenty of people that don't have any shit or whatever it may be, you know? And right. so how have you kind of thought about as you've gone throughout your career of taking advice and just kind of filtering it through 
what is working, what is working for other speakers, what is it that I, Rob, want to do, uh, and how are you kind of processing that and making decisions about the trajectory of your own career? I think one of the most important things any speaker could do is identify speakers who are doing what they want to be doing. Hmm. I want to be like this person. I want to be doing the jobs that they're doing. How can I be connected to them as well? So for me, I play the long game, and the most important things that I've done is created relationships. A lot of the opportunities that I've had is through NSA and also connecting with those people. So Jason Hewlett, I took his workshop. As soon as I took his workshop, I had access to him. And then I took his uh, mastermind, and we were able to communicate. He's thrown some gigs my way. He has evolved his career as well going less as an entertainer but more as a keynoter and then he's also evolved from a keynoter to a coach mm -hmm. and so he has now created his promise institute and i've watched him evolve over the last seven years as well and i think what's really important is to identify those people so jason hewlett's one of them john petz and jeff Savilico. the common thread with all three of them is they do primarily emceeing which i love and so if I can even get my foot in the door as an MC and then sell my other products or programs, that also can give me lasting power. They can bring me back year after year. We can bring them back as a DJ. We can bring them back as a game show host. And I have these different things. So as any speaker, anybody, if you start identifying those people as well and then becoming friends with them and collaborating with them, if you have a superpower that they don't have, you can help them. And that's what I've been doing with Jeff Savilico. He leans on me when it comes to gamification. Hey, I have an event. How can we gamify this? How can we turn this into something? And so that has been one of the most important things for me is leaning into this. And it's been a long, slow journey for me. Yeah. But everything changed in 2020 when everything went virtual. And it was kind of interesting because I don't revel in everybody's loss of their businesses, right? But I felt like we were all on an even playing field at that point. And I could start over or I could just start and do something different. And I was able to insert myself into, this, into the world doing virtual events in no way other people have done it. And that really catapulted my career to where I am today. And then I became known and people started looking at me as a unicorn. Can you be a unicorn within your own association, within your own community? Can people say, oh, I don't know anything about this, but I know of this. Be that unicorn. And that's what really helped me. Hey friends, I got a question for you. Considering where you are in your speaking journey, what are your next steps to take your speaking career to the next level? If your answer is, I, I have no idea, or I have too many ideas, I don't know where to start, let me give you what I believe is the best next step that you can take. I want you to book a call with the Speaker Lab team today over at thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach to see if our personalized coaching program is right for you. We have helped literally thousands of speakers from all over the world find and book more speaking gigs, and we'd love to see if we could help you as well. Our personalized coaching program features done-for-you websites, done-for-you demo videos, weekly coaching calls, access to all of our educational content. We find speaking leads specifically for you and so much more. You've got the talent. You've got the drive. Let us give you the plan to execute. All you got to do is book your call today by going to thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach.
What do you feel like positioned you to be a unicorn? Doing virtual events and doing a virtual game show, virtual MC, and creating the type of engagement that nobody else was doing. I could DJ, I could keynote, I could MC, I could just create that. The majority of my fees over the last two years have actually been game shows. And so if you want to look at it in a different light, it is team building through gamification. Yeah. And that's what I really do. It is entertainment, but I'm helping create community and relationships through gamification, competition, and helping people connect in different ways. So that has been the biggest thing that I've done over the last couple of years. And that's what's really helped propelled me to where I am. Today, I am celebrating something that I've been working towards and I didn't know if I would ever get. And it's called uh, the CSP, the Certified Speaking Professional. And so I'm celebrating in that because I was able to do it in a very non-traditional way. And I, my hope is for people who speak and perform in front of audiences that they can do it. You don't have to just keynote. There are so many different ways to become a, a professional speaker or speaking in front of audiences because people want to buy you necessarily. Yeah. Not necessarily everything else, but they want to buy your experience and that's what I've experienced. That's what's been happening with me. Now, event planners like the idea of doing something different. This is our year. We're going to do something totally different. We want to do something our attendees yeah. and vendors and sponsors have never seen before. But then when it comes down to it, they also like, okay, but I know this works. Uh, so let's yeah. just go with what's tried and true. And so you're right. doing some different things, DJing, MCing, hosting, game shows. And some of those things yeah. are, are, you know, some of those things have been done before. Some of those things are, are new. There's not a lot of right. event planners who are sitting around like, you know, we need, we need a game show. But what you do is really, really good. And you're very, very talented at it. So how do you help an event planner who may be risk averse and who has a yeah. committee or a board or a boss that they have to appease to help them just like open their mind to, we're going to do something different. Trust me. And you're also like, you're kind of sticking your neck on the line. Like, no, no, I know you haven't seen this before, but trust me, this works. And this is going to be really cool. It's going to be a good fit. How do you kind of go about having some of those conversations to get them to, to kind of buy in and have some confidence with something that they're not maybe used to hiring? This is what I have identified. I think the pandemic really hurt the meeting industry. A lot of people want to come back, but also virtual learning is huge now. A lot of people are now doing virtual learning or they're doing virtual conferences. And so some of the conferences and some of the things we want to bring back to in-person events, we need to give them something that they maybe never got before, either it be education or an experience that they didn't experience before the pandemic. So my pitch to them really is, how do we create more engagement and how do we make this in-person experience different from before. So that's where I come in. We want to keep people talking about this conference afterwards and looking forward to being with their friends, their community, associations. I do a lot of stuff with associations and I believe in the power of associations. So if I can talk to an event planner who's putting on an association event and they thrive on having people, butts and seats, how do we keep those butts and seats? How do we keep bringing people back year after year, and also creating that FOMO factor, as I call it, fear of missing out. Ah, I was looking at all the videos. You had this dance party. It was amazing. Oh, you guys did this game show. I want to come next year. 
so my job for these event planners, these meeting planners, is to help them create experiences that they haven't done in the past right. and keeping people wanting to come year after year. You, uh, you've touched on it a couple of times in terms of virtual speaking. So when the pandemic hit, obviously virtual becomes the only game in town. And for a little while, it's kind of the wild, wild west of everyone just figuring it out and making it up as we go. And there's still a degree yes. of that. And for the most part, yes. you know, a lot of virtual speaking is still some form of talking heads and there may be, yes. you know, different cameras or better lighting and improved audio and yada, yada. But for the most part, it's still what it is. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Zoom fatigue and, and the challenges of keeping an audience engaged and entertained through uh, a virtual environment versus being in person. You seem like, again, outside looking, it seems like you've really leaned into the virtual experience and it's so much more than just being a talking head. How have you kind of thought about that? What is it that you do with virtual speaking that makes it different or unique? And then also, how do you see virtual fitting into your business in the future? I'm doing a virtual event right after we speak here. I'm still doing game shows. What I have seen is the pandemic really pushed people out of their homes or out of the offices and into their homes, right? And so people are now more used to doing remote work. A lot of companies maybe either shut their offices and they said, we're gonna keep doing this remote thing, or they started hiring people. The talent pool was now the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so many people have virtual studios or they know how to set up a camera now. We accelerated progress as far as virtually speaking by 10 years or five years, whatever it may be. And so more people are at home more now than ever, especially I've worked with, I'll give you an example. Dell is a company that I've worked with. They're a worldwide company and they want to do these meetups with everybody, but it's so much easier to do it virtually. And so they want to create education, but with engagement. And so that's what I brought as an MC. I would be in between every single, not every single, but before we took a break, I would talk about what's about to happen. As people are coming back from break, I would always engage them in a game, get them ready to be engaged, to have a little bit of fun, and then go back into the education, getting them back in their seats as well. How do we get people to start paying attention? And so one of the biggest problems with virtual is cameras off, no interaction, yeah. no chat, or no vocal, or maybe we just have the chat. That's all we have. It's a webinar. And so we want to give them a little bit of skin in the game, play a little game. And here's the thing about it. A lot of people think about these as games. I want you to think about it as an engagement activity, even just asking a question, getting the pulse of a room, but letting them feel like they're a part of the show. That's the most important thing is putting your audience into this. And so I have, I've actually, I actually speak to speakers about how to create more engagement for their in-person events and virtual events. And I think that's really important is to keep people wanting to be a part of this show. And that's how we did it virtually. And I may have missed a portion of your question because well, let, let me ask you this. a lot of stuff. Yeah, let me ask you this. What what are some, since you work with speakers on just kind of engagement, especially with virtual, yeah. what are like two or three yeah. just, just quick hitting tactics of, okay, I know I can implement this in my next presentation or talk. Uh, what are some of those things that you see are working right now for uh, driving engagement? Yeah, some people worry too much about cameras on, but that would only be in a meeting space if we're doing... For example, Zoom, in Zoom meetings, people can turn their cameras off. In a webinar, you'll never see your participants. They'll just be in the chat. Yeah. So even just in 
putting simple games into your slides, you can do that as well. A this or that game. Would you rather have this or that? Uh, quickly, let's, let's see how you're feeling about this. Would you rather have this or that? As it, this or that game within your slides is fairly easy to do. There's no wrong, right or wrong answer. Another way I use it, is I use Mentimeter all the time. So there's different types of polling. There's poll everywhere, things like that. Even just doing a poll question and letting people express themselves. And what I like to use in Mentimeter is some of these open-ended questions, they don't have to attach their name to it now. And I use this in person, primarily in person, but you could do this also in Mentimeter. Uh, but on Zoom, their names are attached to it. So when I use it in person, their names are not attached and they can be a little bit more anonymous, but also give themselves a little bit more liberty to share and express themselves without attaching their name to it. Yeah. Some people like that anonymity, but just even doing something as simple as an either-or game within the chat. You can even bring up two people from the audience. You can spotlight two people. People can come up. They can unmute themselves, things like that. But I think even just reading in the chat questions and things like that, always checking in with your audience because that's the whole problem with the whole talking heads thing. People can... You can also, this is another thing that I've seen a lot of people do, is they can record, they record their presentation, but they're there live answering questions in the chat right. as they are going. And that's one of the more powerful things that you can do. Again, you've really leaned into the virtual. It seems like it's worked really well for you. Uh, we are kind of at a point where the where in-person continues to come back. It doesn't seem like virtual is going away. And so how are you kind of thinking about where does virtual fit in your business going forward? Do you enjoy doing virtual? Do you want to keep doing it? Uh, obviously, it doesn't compare to being together in person, but there's certainly upsides of uh, you don't have to get on a plane. You don't have to go anywhere. It's certainly in some ways simpler logistically, more complicated than others. But how do you see virtual fitting into your, your business going forward? How this all really happened is uh, I got introduced to lots of different entities. I am now with multiple bureaus, which is amazing, and also uh, agencies, difference between the two. We don't need to go in the nuances between agencies and bureaus, but some of these are online agencies. So a lot of the work I get is being listed on these websites, and I offer something fairly different and I keep getting booked through these different websites. I do get booked on my own through my website, but a lot of these agencies and bureaus are now getting me work. So what do I see as far as virtual is concerned? I still love doing it. Um, I do have some issues sometimes where somebody wants to book something and I'm on the road. So I, I have that problem on Friday. I'm heading to Philadelphia and I'm emceeing an event and uh, they wanna do this virtual event on Friday. The beauty of it is I can take it on the road, but I have to set up a virtual studio every time I step into a hotel room and I have all the equipment, and so I can still make money. I love being able to make money from home. Yeah. So a lot of people have passive income where they have these programs and books and those type of things where they can make. To me, this feels super passive in the sense that I could just walk over from my bedroom here, turn on my laptops, and play a game from home. Yeah. And a lot of these games that I do, I can, I actually have a system where I ask a 
poll question. Oh, that's another thing people can do virtually is just even ask Zoom poll questions. Just a poll question just to gauge where people are, what their thoughts are. And I let my audience choose the game. I give them three choices and they get to pick which game they do. But a lot of these games I can do, these game shows I can do from home, never even met with the client. I do a little bit of research. I research their company, see how many people are, but then they just want to have a bit of fun. And yeah. So I can be that expert on gamification and fun. So to answer your question, I still love it, and, I, and I'm happy to be working from home. I, I have six, eight events on the books for the next couple of months, virtual. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I want to wrap up with this. You, you've been in the speaking industry for, for several years. You mentioned earlier um, that you feel like this year things have really started to click. Uh, that's a long time to go where you're just like, I'm figuring it out. I'm making some progress. Yeah. I'm taking yeah. three steps forward, one step back. Pandemic hits. I'm looking for clarity. I'm trying to figure out what's next. I'm just like trying to put the pieces together. And so, you know, one thing that I think we do, we do a good job here at the Speak Lab is just making sure that people understand people can be speakers, but it's, it's a crap load of work. And there are times where it's going to feel discouraging and frustrating. And it's not always standing ovations and first-class trips to Dubai. Yeah. As, as awesome as, as those can be, and those can happen, that's not always going to be yeah. the case. And so there's plenty of times I'm sure where you could have quit, you could have thrown in the towel. You could have done like, what, what am I trying to do? What am I screwing with the speaking thing? Let's just double down on the DJ thing. Let's double down on the wedding thing. We've got good traction yeah. there. That'd be simpler, easier, better fill in the blank. So what has kept you sticking with the speaking industry and the speaking business for so many years? Well, one, the fees and the opportunity to travel. Uh, I make so much more money speaking and I enjoy traveling. I enjoy being able to go around the world, meet new people and share what I do. So that's what's kept me in it. Yeah. And but it's taken me a while. I'm not your traditional speaker. I think if I would have gotten rid of my day job, which was the DJ business and leaned into it, it probably would have accelerated it maybe. Yeah. But I still wanted to hold on to both my communities because the DJ community has fed me a lot of work. And being that unicorn also within the DJ community, as somebody who is still a part of that community and still doing work within that community has given me business. Yeah. And so I didn't want to burn those ships as well. And so I think the one thing that has fueled me is showing up. I think if, if anything, I keep showing up. I keep going to industry events. I keep going to educational events. Because that's the interesting thing about speakers. Where often do we speak at? conferences and educational events and if you're not going to those events where you can learn from other speakers and other people and leveling up I think you're missing out on huge opportunities right so find those events find those conferences find those places where you can just keep showing up and people will start to know who you are I equate it to my time in the parking lot I showed up in the parking lot up at Disney World, obscure. Nobody knew who I was, and I was standing in a parking lot directing traffic. I had to emerge from that parking lot, and I, had, I wanted to be known, and so I leaned into what I could do and be heard and be seen. Same thing happened. First influence. Nobody knew who I was. Influence for the National Speakers Association in 2016. This year, in 2022, six years later, after my first influence, 
I'll be one of three MCs at that conference. Mm. It's because I showed up year after year and I learned from people, I collaborated with people, I supported people, I would sit on the front row, I would help them. If they needed a microphone and nobody else was willing to do it, I would run to the front of the room, grab that microphone, I would help them. It's because I showed up. Yeah. You just gotta keep showing up. Very good. Rob, before we go, I got one other question for you. As a fellow Disney park fanatic, you've got one fast pass or lightning lane to go on any ride anywhere in the US. Which ride are you getting on? Oh dear. I was hoping you say in the world because there's one ride that I didn't get to go on. It's in Shanghai Disney, which is Pirates of the Caribbean. It was under construction when, no, it was being refurbished. It wasn't being constructed, so refurbished. So that was very unfortunate to me. But if there is any ride that I could re-ride over and over again, I mean, yes, Rise of the Resistance. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing. But a classic ride that gets me every time, it is not Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom Space Mountain, but Disneyland's Space Mountain. It is by far the best Space Mountain you could ever go to. So if I had to choose one, it's that ride over and over again. Space Mountain's a classic. Rob, thanks for the time, man. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, uh, and check one of your many different websites, where can we go? (laughs) Yeah, the main website is robferre.com, R-O-B-F-E-R-R-E.com. Follow me on Instagram as well. That's where I put a lot of stuff into the universe and LinkedIn is a great way. So those are the three sources I tell people, let's connect on LinkedIn. Let's uh, go to my website, Instagram, because I really like being able to share my adventures. And uh, I have an adventure coming up on Thursday that I'll be sharing is when I went to the World Expo in Dubai. Very cool. Rob, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, I want you to know that we do this podcast simply because we want to serve and support speakers like you. We don't charge anything for you to listen, but in return, we do have one small favor to ask. Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening right now? Hit that subscribe button. Also, leave us a rating and review within iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to these podcasts. We read every single one of them, and they also help other people to find the show. Also, if you are looking to take the next step in growing your speaking business, be sure and check out thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. We've got a ton of free resources and tools there, and you can also learn more about the programs that we offer, which include one-on-one coaching. Our mission here is to help you find the confidence, clarity, and clear path that you need to own your speaking success. So again, check us out over at thespeakerlab.com. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.